So right here, uh, this is, uh, I want to thank my friends at Tiger Plumbing for donating, uh, helping me out today with this. This is a, uh, a mannequin. This is a body, as you can tell. I, I don't want to do that way just yet. Okay, so this is a body. And uh, it's, I mean, it's not an actual body. It's more of the form of a body, but, it, but it's a body. And um, I'm actually kind of intimidated by it uh, because it has um, better abs and uh, more muscle tone than I do. Uh, you know, this kind of kind of looks like the uh, the before and after of a, a Nutrisystem ad, right? You know, and so like there we go. Then <laughs> anyway, this, this body is incomplete. Uh, the, the body is kind of incomplete in, in that it's missing. Well, it's missing its arm. And now that's not to say that people who are missing an arm or a leg are incomplete. It just means that this guy here can't do his job effectively because he doesn't have both of his arms. And uh, his job is to uh, show off clothing, to demonstrate clothing, and he can't do that with only one arm. You know, we, we in the church are a body. Uh, the New Testament says that we're a body. We're going to talk about that today, what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to be the church, and how we need to show equal concern and care for everybody in the church. And God has put together our church body in such a way that it's, uh, every part is important and every part is needed. And, and we need you to do your job in the church. We need you to be a part of the church, to not just support the church with your attendance, not just support the church with financial givings, but we need you to support the church in volunteering. We need you to support the church in prayer. And every part of the body is important. You know, imagine how much more difficult your life could be if you were missing a limb, if you were missing an eye, if you were missing your hearing, and just how much more difficult it would be. Not that you couldn't live you know, without an arm, but it's just having two arms makes it more convenient. And so when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to the church, uh, we need to remember that every part is important and every part needs to be cared for. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue in our series called Heart Matters. What we've been talking about here on Sundays, if this is your first time here, we've been talking about the, the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. And he told his disciples this. He, he boiled down three and a half years of ministry. He, he boiled down uh, all the commandments to, to just one command. And that is to love one another as he has loved us. So Jesus takes all the commands and he says, I, I, guys, if, you, if you're going to do anything, you've got to do this one thing. You've got to love one another as I have loved you. And, and the reason that we love one another as he has loved us is so that everyone will know that we are Jesus' followers. That they will know that Jesus is real and that we follow him by the way that we love one another in the church. And that's what we're called to do is to love each other in the church with an unconditional, unlimited, unselfish kind of love. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. And how did Christ love us? He loved us humbly and sacrificially and unconditionally and that's how we're supposed to love one another here in the church and so we've looked at different practical ways that we can do that how can we practically live out this command to love one another in the church we talked about how we need to uh, support one another we need to accept one another 
as Christ has accepted us. Christ has accepted us in our sins and our failures, our weaknesses and our faults. And we need to accept one another in our sins, failures, weaknesses and faults. And, and that doesn't mean that we accept sin, but it means we accept sinners. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't accept sin, but he accepts sinners. We need to sometimes bear with one another in the church. That means sometimes we've got to put up with one another. Sometimes we, uh, we also need to encourage one another. We talked last week about how we need to encourage one another in the church. Did anybody write somebody an encouragement note this week? Anybody write some encouragement notes this week? Well, thank you for doing that. And I hope that it was a blessing to them, and I hope it was a blessing to you. I mean, imagine you made somebody's day by just encouraging them in a text or a phone call or a letter or a card. You know, that's so important that we encourage one another in the church because we live in such a world of discouragement. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, caring for one another in the church and what it means to truly care for one another in the church. And we're looking at a passage from the book of 1 Corinthians. And the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, who used to be an enemy of Jesus and then became his biggest cheerleader and missionary. And so Paul wrote this letter to churches that he started in the area of Corinth. And the city of Corinth was a major, major city in ancient Greece. In fact, it had a population of about 250,000 Roman citizens and 400,000 slaves in the slave class. So there were about 650,000 people who lived in Corinth. It was a very pagan city. It had a lot of immorality in the city. And so Paul wrote a couple letters to the church there to remind them that they are different and they are supposed to live differently than the people around them. And in this letter, he writes that the church is a body and needs to care for one another. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you brought a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you didn't bring one, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 813 of that Bible. Or you can use your favorite app on a smartphone or tablet. and We'll put the words on the screen as well. And what we're going to do is we're going to do this a little different. We're going to do this a little backwards. Um, we're going to look at the last verse in our passage. And then we're going to go back to the beginning. So I want to look at the last verse. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. And it says this. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And the thing, the takeaway that we need to get from this verse is just simply this. We are the church. Now the church is not a building. You are not sitting in a church. You are the church. The church is not a service that we attend. How many times do we say that? Well, I'm going to church. Where are you going? I'm going to church. Well, the church isn't something that you go to. The church is something you are a part of. And we are the church. And every single one of you is a part of it. You are not here on accident today. You are here on purpose for a purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And you are here today for a reason. For a very good reason. That may be to worship God. It may be to encourage somebody else. It may be uh, to remember what Jesus did for you. But you are here for a reason and, and my prayer, my hope, is that you will uh, find a home here. Whether you've been here for three minutes, well, 30 minutes, or you've been here for 30 days, 30 years, however long you've been here, my prayer is that GFCC will be your home, will be your church family, 
and that you will become a part of our church. Because again, the church isn't a service we attend. It's not a building we go to, but we are the church. The church is a body, and we are the church. You're a part of it. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you believe in him and turn away from your sins and repentance, and you confess your faith and get baptized, God makes you a part of his church. He spiritually unites, he spiritually unites you with believers all over the world, and you become a part of the universal big C church. But not only that, you also become a part of our local body of believers. You become a part of our local church, little C church. And we want you to be a part of it. We want you to find a home here. And many of you have. And some of you are still feeling it out going, no, I'm not sure yet. I, I think you're going to love it here. That's my prayer is that you're going to love it here. Because we've got a great family. We're a great church family. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. So the first thing you've got to know is that we are the church. Let's go back to the beginning of this passage. Look at verses 12 and 13. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. So the next thing you've got to know is, first you've got to know that we are the church. Second thing you've got to know is that we are one. The, when he says, when Paul says that the body is a unit, right there in verse 12, the body is a unit, the, I've been teaching you some ancient Greek words along the way here through this series, and the New Testament was written in ancient Greek, and the ancient Greek there translated as unit is literally the number one. The body is one. We are a unit. We are one. And how many times does he use the word one in these two verses? He uses it five times. The body is one. The body is a unit, although it is made up of many parts. And though its, all parts are par though its parts are many, they form how many bodies? So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by how many spirits? Into how many bodies? Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we are all given the spirit to drink. And then he uses the word again in, chapter, in verse 14. We'll get to that in just a second. The important thing to know is that we are united and that we are one. That means, and, and again, this is so important that we be one body, that we be one, that we be united. Because we live in a very divided world. People are divided along all kinds of lines. Whether it is economic lines, rich versus poor, versus middle class. Uh, whether it is our color lines, red and yellow, black and white and brown, Jesus loves us all. Whether it be our gender lines, male and female. Whether it be our age lines, whether it's baby boomers or uh, Generation Xers, or Millennials. There's all kinds of things that can divide us in the church, but rather than being divided, we need to be united. We need to be one. So it's so important to remember that we are one. We were baptized into one spirit, by one spirit, into one body. We are one. The next thing you need to know is that we are a body. That's what he says in verses uh, 14 through 20. He says, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but 
one body. So we are the church. We are one and we are a body. In other words, we are a living organism. The church is alive. Now, oh man, I hope that you feel that. When you come in here on a Saturday night or on a Sunday morning, when you come in here, that you feel like this place is alive, that it is hopping and it is happening. And we are alive. We are a body. We are a living organism. And Jesus is our heartbeat. And we are uh, not just the church. We are not just one. We are a body. And every part is important. You know, and just because somebody says, well, you know, I, I'm not a preacher, so therefore I'm... I'm not that important. Or I'm not a teacher. I'm not that important. I'm not an elder. I'm not that important. I'm not a deacon. I'm not that important. I'm not. You are important. You are needed here at GFCC. You are here for a reason. You are here on purpose. And God has a purpose for your life. And he has a purpose uh, for you. And there's a reason why you're here. To get involved. To give of your time, talent, and treasure. And you can say, well, I don't feel at home there. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I'm, I'm as important as Sean or as one of the elders or as one of the teachers, one of the pastors. I, I don't know that I'm not. You are important. And we need you here. We need you to get involved. We need you to be part of the body. Because we are a body. We are the church. We are one. We are a body. And finally, we are one body. Look at verse uh, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given the greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have, look at this, equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So every part is important and every part is needed. And just because you can say, well, I, I don't preach, so therefore I'm not important. Not true. I don't teach, so therefore I'm not necessary. Not true. We need everyone, all hands on deck here at GFCC to fulfill our purpose, to fulfill our mission of helping people follow Jesus. That's our mission, is helping people follow Jesus. That if you don't know Jesus Christ, we want to introduce you to him. We want you to know who Jesus is and that he died on the cross for your forgiveness so that you can spend forever with him. That if you do know Jesus, we want to help you get to know him better through our connection groups, through service opportunities, through volunteer opportunities. If you know Jesus, we want to help you get to know him better. That's what we do, and that's why we do it. We are helping people follow Jesus. And, and I hope that you, uh, if you've been coming here for a while, if you've been coming here for uh, a couple years or a couple decades, a couple generations, I hope that you are following Jesus better today than you were five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And that we're... That, GFCC has been a part of your spiritual journey and is helping you follow Jesus better. So we are the church. We are one. We are a body. We are one body. We are united and together and working together to help people follow Jesus. And like I said, I, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek. I've been teaching some ancient Greek words along the way and I want to show you a Greek word today. It's called merimnao. And merimnao literally means to worry. 
to be anxious, to be concerned with, or to care for. And he uses this word there in verse uh, 25. It says, there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. That's that word merimnao. Now, it's used a couple of other places in the New Testament in a different way. Uh, for example, in Philippians 4, 6, Paul wrote to the Philippian church, says, do not be anxious about anything. And Jesus used this word in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, I tell you, do not worry about your life. So this word, merimnao, can mean to be concerned about or can, uh, can mean to be anxious. It can mean to worry, but it also means to care for. And so this is vitally important that we get a hold of this word. That we are going to show equal concern for all the parts of the body. No one here is more important than anyone else. We have equal concern for each other. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. Every single one of us. That when we stand at the foot of the cross, when we stand at the foot of the cross... Every single one of us is important, needed, loved, and can be forgiven by God's grace. Every single one of us. So we need to show equal concern and equal care for each other. Does that make sense? Okay. So what, there's a couple things you've got to do. There's a couple steps you need to take. If we're going to show equal concern for each other, if we're going to care for one another in the church, there's a couple steps you've got to take. Your first step is don't focus only on your concerns. Don't focus only on your concerns. Because it can be real easy to be self-absorbed. As human beings, we can be very self-absorbed. We can be very uh, self-centered and selfish. And we think, I've got to take care of me. I've got to take care of my business. I've got to take care of my stuff. I've got to take care of my body. I've got to take care of my house. I've got to take care of my finances. I've got to take care of my, 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 my. Don't focus only on your concerns or your worries or your fears or your anxieties don't show concern only for yourself in, in 1st Peter 5 7 it says give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you so instead of focusing on your cares and your concerns give them over to God you can't handle them anyway you've been trying for years right uh, am, am, am I talking to the wall? Am I talking to my guy here? No, you've been trying, haven't you? You've been trying to handle your concerns and your cares and your worries and your fears. You've been trying to do it on your own for how long? Months? Years? Decades? You've been trying to handle it on your own. Give it over to God. Cast all your concerns Put all of your cares, all of your worries, all of your fears, all of your anxiety, give it over to God. Because why? Because He cares about you. God is the one who cares about you. More than you care about you, He cares about you. He, so much so that God knows the number of hairs on your head. That's how intensely interested He is in your life. Not that you're the center of the universe, but you're in the center of His heart. He loves you so much. He sent Jesus, his only son, to die for you so that your sins could be forgiven. That's how much he loves you. Like I said, he knows the number of hairs on your head or the number of hairs that used to be on your head.
He knows. Because He loves you and He cares for you. He cares about you. Every day, He is loving you. Right now, where you're sitting, God is loving you right now. So give Him your concerns and give Him your cares. Don't focus only on yourself. Give your concerns and your cares to God because He cares about you. And that frees you up to be able to do this. And in Philippians 2, 4, Paul said, Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Don't look out only for yourself. Look around you. Look at your brothers and sisters in this room. Look at your brothers and sisters at GFCC, your fellow Christians. Say, take an interest in their life. Take an interest in their concerns. Take an interest in their worries. Take an interest in their fears. Take an interest in their anxieties. Help carry their load when they can't carry that, carry it. Give your concerns to God so that you can be concerned about others. And that's the next step you need to take. Is you need to care for other parts of the body. You need to care for other parts of the body. Get your focus off yourself and look around you. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Paul said this, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We've got a lot of people in our church who are hurting, especially this time of year, the holiday season, people who've lost loved ones this year, or in the last couple of years, people who are hurting. Do you see it? Do you see them? Do you see them in their hurt? Do you see them in their pain? Do you see them in their struggle? We've got people who are celebrating and who are rejoicing. Paul said, rejoice with those who rejoice. Do you see them? Do you celebrate with them? Do you rejoice with them? Or, or do you get jealous and envious? Hey, I got a great deal on this. Oh, good for you. I got a new car. Oh, wonderful. I'm so happy for you. I drive my beater. Hey, I won the lottery. Really? Mega Millions. Fantastic. My question would be, are you going to tithe on that? <laughs> are you rejoicing with those who rejoice? Are you mourning with those who mourn? Do you see them in their pain? Do you see your brothers and sisters in their hurt? Are you grieving with those who grieve? Or are you leaving them to grieve alone? And sometimes we don't want to, right? We, it's like, I, I don't know what to say. Or, or I don't want to say the wrong things. So you just let them grieve alone? You just let them mourn by themselves? Let people know that they're not alone. And grieve with those who grieve. Mourn with those who mourn. Suffer with those who suffer. I don't know what to say. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. I got three, three simple sentences you can say. Three simple sentences. Someone you know who is hurting, someone you know who is mourning and grieving. You can't go wrong with these three things. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. That's all I got to say. When you know that someone's hurting, all you got to say, I love you. I'm praying for you. And I'm here for you. And if you can say those three sentences, it will mean so much to someone who is grieving, someone who is mourning. It lets them know that you do care. 
you know, the key to this whole thing is living a life of joy. The great theologian, the wonderful scholar, the amazing uh, person who, who taught this concept to me is my mom, Casey. She's a, she taught me this, that the key is joy, and that is Jesus first, others second, and you last. That if you will put Jesus first, and others second, and yourself last, you will discover a joy unlike any other. There is joy in following Jesus. There is joy in serving others. And there is actually joy in putting yourself last. Selfishness makes us ugly. And selfishness leads to more selfishness. And it leads to unfulfilled expectations and unfulfilled dreams. And when we are selfish, we put ourselves first. We get things upside down and backwards. The key to joyful living is Jesus first. Others second. And yourself last. So that you can show equal concern for all of the parts of the body. And everyone in the church will be cared for. Now, you don't have to care for everyone in the church. That's a huge job. Believe me, I try. You just need to care for a few people around you. For the people you know. For the people that you know are hurting. And the people that you know are struggling. Or the people that you know are rejoicing. And the people you know who are celebrating. Invest your life in others and you will discover the joy. The secret to joyful living is Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And when we do that, we will discover a meaning and a purpose and a joy to life like we've never known.